Hello and welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. My name is Julian Carl, CEO and co-founder of Synergen Group and really happy to bring to you another episode of the podcast. And look, in today's interview, I speak with Lainey Taylor, who is the Managing Director of HR Squad, who are a boutique HR services provider. And look, I've worked with Lainey for a number of years now, and I think you'll find it a particularly interesting interview because Lainey shares some of her insights into the leaders that she's worked with and worked for, and also provides a slightly different perspective on the role that HR can play in a business and should play in a business. And I do want to just just also let you know that the interview was recorded in a rather large uh, area, so there is a little bit of an echo in the interview, which unfortunately we couldn't get rid of during the production, but it is still a great interview. Really encourage you to uh, focus in on on the learnings that uh, Lainey shares, and as always, would love to hear what you think. So happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. Welcome, Lainey, to the, the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time and sharing your story with us so that the listeners have a bit more uh, insight about you. Who is Lainey Taylor? Right. So Lainey Taylor right now is the Managing Director and Founder of HR Squad, which is a business that's two years old that supports um, smaller to medium-sized organisations around the whole employee life cycle. Uh, but mainly specialising in coaching, talent and leadership, and general HR consulting. So that's where Lenny Taylor is right this second. Okay. And is there an interesting fact that you can tell us about HR Squad? I think the most interesting fact about HR Squad is that we are a completely virtual business. So we have no office. Everyone that works for HR Squad works from home or another location. And in fact, the people that support us from an IT perspective are in Paris. My PA works on a farm outside Melbourne. And then we have some HR consultants that work for us wherever they would like to work, from a cafe, on site, with a business. And it works completely beautifully for all of us. And as long as we keep our communication lines open and use tools to, to keep connected, then we would like to stay a very virtual business. Do you find that a challenge from a leadership perspective? No, I don't, because I like to put tools in place to make sure that we stay connected. And people love the freedom that it gives them. And I think we talk about virtual teams and virtual businesses and people and organisations struggle with that. But it really is something that can be done and people can be quite fulfilled in the work that they're doing by having the freedom to work the way they want to work. And we, we have to come from a place of trust. I have to trust that the people that work for HR Squad are doing what they're supposed to be doing. But at this stage, two years in, you know, we've had no issues with any employees that work for us and the way that they work. So, for example, Kim is... is someone that works for HR Squad and she might do three hours of work in the morning, go pick up her kids, do something at the school and come back and work later at night. And that's fine. And that works well for her. Okay. 
So I'd like to take you back, mm. all the way back to your very first leadership position. It's a long time ago. <laughs> Are you able to share with the listeners a little bit about what that was? And... Yeah, so I guess the first significant leadership position is probably the best to talk about. Um, because I had some smaller leadership positions, but I think the one to talk about is probably when I took up the role of HR Director at Adidas, Australia and New Zealand. And I was very young, I was only 26, 27 at the time. And that was a big learning curve for me. And it's funny when you're young, you're full of confidence and kind of like when you're a little kid and you have no fear. So still at that age, I seemed to have no fear. And I don't think it was until later in my career I realised how significant that role was and actually how inexperienced and young I was being a leader in that business and all of a sudden being part of a leadership team and making business decisions. So that was my very first leadership role. Okay. And what were some of your big learnings from that? I think... In reflecting, my biggest learnings were that at the time it was still all about me and I was very task focused. So although I had a team, I'm not sure that I was wonderful at painting the big picture strategy that's so required to get full engagement. So I had an amazing team there, but we were very task orientated and task focused to support the business versus perhaps being a bit more helicopter and a bit more proactive in how we could enable the business. So that's probably the biggest learning from that time. Okay. And were there any significant successes which stand out for you? In that role? Yeah. Well, surviving the role (laughs) at that age um, and, you know, being part of a leadership team and for the first time in my career reporting to, you know, a managing director was very different. So I had to learn some new skills and I had a wonderful relationship with the managing director at the time, Kevin Roberts. He was um, a great leader of of Adidas and taught me a lot around commercial acumen business versus just HR. So I felt very fortunate for, for that experience and that meant that as a leadership team we were very successful at the time, at that time at with Adidas and competing against Nike and we had low turnover, a really great culture and we were very innovative for probably that era and you know we would, we did things differently than other organisations did so the culture was known to be you know one of greatness and people really wanted to come work for us. Uh, we also moved I guess the biggest success for me there was that I learned the commercials of an organisation end to end and that's something that I think is very, very important for an HR practitioner and has obviously helped me now in my business in HR squad to be able to add value far beyond just HR stuff. And do you, do you think that it was, I'm always curious when people come to the decision that leadership's for them, that's what they want to do. Mm. Had you already made that decision? Oh, yeah. It yeah. was always for me. Yeah. yeah. I love managing people. Uh, I think that once I'd worked out the formula okay. of that... So you've got some secret sauce? I think so. Okay. 
Well, number one, I'm really funny <laughs> <laughs> and fun to work with. But I really do care about people. I like enabling people. And um, I think through my leadership career and managing teams, I don't think I've had many people that haven't wanted to work for me. Um, people might listen to this podcast and maybe have a different <laughs> view. But, but I'm really big on enabling people to do their job and learn their job. And I've got lots of great examples of people that have come to work with me with not necessarily the right skill set to do the job. That's not what interests me. What interests me is how someone rolls, their capacity for work, how they'll work in the team, are they thirsty to learn, their learning agility, all these things are the things that I recruit for. And I'm more than happy then to skill someone up to the role. And that's always been uh, my ammo and hence why I've hired people with various backgrounds or very little experience. So for me, it's really about the person and learning agility than than the skill set. And so why did you decide to leave Adidas? So Adidas, just I outgrew Adidas. Uh, the, the opportunities were overseas, beyond Australia, to stay with Adidas and actually had some people in my team who did go overseas and are still in Adidas land in Germany. But for me, I just couldn't do it and I was also wanting to have a second child and so I wanted to be close to home. So it, the Adidas leadership team went on a journey and committed to each other over sort of a three-year period. We, we got done what we needed to get done and um, a few of us all left around the same time and to go on and do bigger, better things. And it was time for me to go into a big, complex organisation. So from the very beginning of my career, I've been very purposeful of moving in and out of small companies. I much prefer to work for small companies but in fact, there is things to be learned in big, complex, matrix organisations that you just cannot learn in a small organisation. So Adidas couldn't provide that for me anymore. And so off I went searching for the big, complex role. So where was that big, complex role? So I went to the lovely Telstra. <laughs> <laughs> okay, certainly big. So I couldn't get any bigger really. And, and I decided at this point in my career to specialise, so I went in uh, leading OD and talent, which was different. I'd always been a generalist by trade, but I'd always had an interest in OD leadership and talent. And I went into the consumer part of the business, which was the biggest part of the business at the time, and led that function for two or three years, and then moved into running the talent performance and leadership function for all of Telstra. Right. So that was a big, complex role um, with a big team and obviously the ability to influence lots of different people was very important, working with very big budgets and dealing with lots of different characters. Mm -hmm. So what were your biggest learnings making that shift into that big, mm. complex? When I first went in, I went, holy crap. <laughs> This is enormous and how will I ever be able to do this job? So there was absolutely self-doubt um, that could I actually do this? 
Then, obviously, I had to quickly pivot. I had a wonderful leader at the time, Alex Badenoch, who was very supportive of me in the role. So I had a great leader. So I think you definitely have to have a great leader. I've always been drawn to um, inspiring leaders. Then I realised that it was really about understanding the organisation. So, again, tip number two is... You know, HR people can't sit back and not understand the organisation. So you need to go work in a store or you need to go out with the ops team or you need to get out on the road and you you really need to understand the nuts and bolts of the business so that when you're trying to enable the business or push something into the funnel that you actually understand how it affects them. And then there's the complexity of influencing without authority, you know, in the space of talent and leadership, you're asking the business to either pay or invest time and trust that you're going to deliver a product to their people that's going to make them more effective at their their role. And so the ability to be able to influence and tell a story around that to very senior leaders across a vast global organisation is, you know, it's difficult, um, but something that I realised that I was quite good at, I had the gift of the gab, I come from a sales background a long time ago, very early on in my career, and so I really practised um, the influencing without authority, which I think is a really important competency or capability to have in any role. And why did you decide to leave there? Because it sounds like a pretty challenging role. Yeah, so I, I did what I needed to do at Telstra. Um, I was in the biggest job in terms of OD and talent, and I'm a bit of a troubleshooter, uh, known for fixing things, so that needed a bit of work, and it was all humming along, and I had a great team that I could leave behind um, to look after it. And an opportunity presented itself at Asiano, which is a stevedoring, was a stevedoring train uh, organisation, so something completely different, mm. and was really broken at the time. And HR, the HR function was sort of non-existent or very um, disjointed, and I liked the challenge of that. And it was, it's what I think is really interesting is. If you were to put that job in front of any top talent HR practitioner, no one would have taken that job. No one. They just looked at it and said no. And I'm pretty sure probably there were some people that did say no to the job yeah. because it was that messy at the time. It had gone through quite a change and change of leadership. So John Mullen went in as the CEO and, you know, he's a very inspirational man. And I met with him and I was sold. So I went in to head up the talent and leadership program for Asiano. Mm. Um, so really just about the challenge yeah. and stretch. So it sounds like you're always drawn to the challenge. I'm always drawn to broken, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. So if the organisation is broken, if someone doesn't want to work there, then that's where I will go. But it has to be with good leadership in place. So... If a CEO is taken on the challenge, then I'm willing to go in, or a head of HR is taken on that challenge, then I'm willing to go in um, with a really strong remit that's supported and, and do the hard yards to turn that organisation around, and that's exactly what we did at Asiano. Mm. 
Okay. So I'd like to fast forward to the present. Mm-hmm. First question I'd like to ask is why did you decide to leave the whole corporate life mm-hmm. and start your own business? Because it's a, it's a big thing to do. Yes. So if you ask my husband, I've always wanted to own my own business. Um, mainly a cafe or <laughs> lots of coffee <laughs> no i've always i've always wanted to own my own business and i think the think of it about owning your own business is when is the right time to try it because it's really difficult and you have to be a salesperson you, you know first and foremost you have to be comfortable with that and i've even had people come to me since starting hr squad saying i want to do what you do and i really just off the bat explain to them the first thing you need to do is be a salesperson and then that immediately puts people off. I think corporate teaches you obviously all these wonderful skills but I never really, if you were to ask people that worked for me or knew me, I was always known as a little bit quirky and a bit left of centre in terms of how I approached HR. I prefer to approach it holistically in terms of how can we enable the business and be leader-led, manager-led, not an HR-led business. That's not. I don't feel like that's the place of HR. Um, manager and leader-led is the way that organisations should work. Managers should take responsibility for their people and their business, and HR can help enable them with the tools and processes and coaching and training and, and those types of things. Um, I felt that I had got to a point in my career, especially with my um, family life as well, having kids, going into high school, that I wanted to be home more. I wanted more flexibility in the way that I worked. And I was probably ready to get off what can be the corporate wheel where you find yourself floating within corporate organisations but not necessarily being fulfilled. So it's about going back to what is my purpose, what really drives and motivates me. All the jobs I've taken, there's been a reason why I've taken them. And it was time to sit back and go, okay, now what drives and motivates me? What drives and motivates me now is very different to when I was 25. When I was 25, I wanted to make truckloads of money and be really successful and manage big teams. At 44, I want to be a great mum, have flexibility, be inspiring to other women, and the younger generation and help businesses that are smaller because because businesses are smaller doesn't make them less complex in terms of what they need from you know HR or from a people strategy perspective and I just felt that I could add a lot of value in that space as well as fulfilling some altruistic need I have around helping others that I wasn't getting from big corporates anymore. So it was time to pop out and um, have a crack at something completely different. And it's great to hear that business is going well, two years in. Two years in, so HR Squad's two years old and um, we're doing very well. I think we're niche in what we provide and as I said and repeat, that if you're a small to medium-sized business, you can't afford a big HR heavy hitter but it doesn't make the challenges that you have um, any less important. And so smaller businesses still need the brains of big, heavy-hitting HR, but they don't need it full-time and they don't need it all the time. 
and I guess still the philosophy of HR Squad is, and the, and the very nature of its name is, we like to squat in and squat out. We like to kind of play behind the scenes, enable CEOs, enable their teams, enable leaders to be better at what they do and help them grow their businesses versus being an HR-led organisation. And that's a very niche offering. And I'm not a consulting house, so I'm not a, I don't come from a consulting background, so that they're probably my main competitors. So I, again, the difference is that I can offer 25 years of HR leadership experience um, for a much cheaper price than <laughs> the big players. Cool. So I'd like to explore some of your more general views on leadership now. What do you think the biggest myth about leadership is? The biggest myth about leadership? Hmm. I think that it's probably that if you get more senior, that hierarchy and power are valuable. Um, I think that's a big myth, you know. The world doesn't work like that anymore and the generations don't work like that anymore. And the other one I would say when I'm coaching a lot is people are scared to take on big leadership roles because they think they're going to be harder. But in fact, good leaders are amazing enablers and coaches of their people. So it's not more work. So that's a big myth about, you know, I hate coaching someone who's got all this great potential and they're like, no, I really don't want to take on that role. It's just I'm not going to have work-life balance and... Well, no, you can have all these things. It's the parameters you put around it and how you enable your team to get the work done versus you being the task-orientated person. I think that's the biggest myth. You described yourself before as a little bit quirky. Mm -hmm. Is that how you would describe yourself as a leader? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, just quirky or anything else? Um, I think just as a leader... I'm, I'm very authentic in the way that I lead and, and I do create close connections with people that I work with. You know, I think to get the best out of your people, you need to know them. You need to know what drives and motivates them and what their own purpose is and everyone's very different. And so I pride myself on knowing those things about my people and always have for the teams that I've had so that, that I can give them fulfilling, meaningful work, but also I know what drives and motivates them outside of work so that I can help fulfil that as well. Okay. So I think because of the nature of the work that we do at Synergen, that we're always very interested in what tools, methodologies, frameworks people are using. So, mm -hmm. so what are some of your favourites? Um, I've made up my own. Great, great. Well, let's, let's share. <laughs> So I, I feel a lot of reflective tools and so I think the biggest lesson as a leader because I coach so many senior people that I find is the stop and reflect. So it doesn't really matter what tool you use, there's a million of them, but how are you going to stop and reflect on what your purpose is, what drives you and what motivates you and when are you going to do that and put timelines on that. So. Having reflective tools and being really purposeful about doing them is, I think, really important. There's a great app 
called the Resilience Project. So I use that in my coaching, which I think is a really good tool for people to reflect on how they're showing up each day. I use LSI uh, as a tool around behaviours and how people are showing up in their personal and professional lives. I use a monthly reflective tool that I've just built about how you feel and and that sort of identifies trends in how people are tracking. So I guess in the absence of being consciously in the moment of reflection, then you find yourself floating and not actually fulfilling the things that you want to fulfill in your life. And then the whole person that you are, um, you're not bringing your best self, I guess, to home and, and work and I find that I need to really help people do that and it doesn't take very long for the penny to drop and for people to use a few tools and go okay yep I've got this now which then sort of catapults them into a promotion or catapults them into a better work-life balance whatever that is for them but the task orientation that we thought we're, we're sort of surrounded by technology and everything moves so fast that I've, I find leaders are very task orientated and not as reflective as they need to be, which then makes them ineffective. So what do you think the biggest challenges are that leaders are facing right now? What's the, what's the big challenge? Well, I think there's a few things. Like, interestingly, like we're in a time of massive change technology-wise. Um, I think the biggest challenge for leaders is to be able to be really open-minded around what's coming next and being ready for that. Uh, I see far too often businesses not ready for the disruption that's about to occur. So how leaders can ensure that they educate them around strategy and insights that may disrupt their business and hence their revenue and anything else that goes along with it um, is, is probably the biggest challenge. I don't think leaders spend enough time doing that. Um, and I've got tons of examples in the last couple of years of that being sort of a real downfall for leaders. And I've got some great examples where people do it really well. The other challenge for leaders, and this is probably just um, a reflection of the work that I've done over the last couple of years that might be helpful for people that may work in corporate environments, is that I actually find working with entrepreneurs far more fascinating than working with big corporates in the sense that it's not that people I'm working with big corporates aren't amazing, but entrepreneurs are far more eager to learn from anybody and their learning agility is incredible. And it doesn't matter if it's someone that's washing their dishes or someone that's their CFO. They're very, very open and available. And when I go work with big corporates, they're not open and available. Um, they're value hierarchy and power and they think they need to show up in a certain way and kind of you know stare you down you have to sort of earn their trust and what I find with entrepreneurs is you don't they're just like what can you tell me and what can I learn from you 
and I and I wish big corporates would be more like that. I think that they could get a lot more out of their people and hence why the leadership programs that we run and the talent programs we run are very much around the inspiring leader, how you can be an inspiring leader and bring some of that sort of entrepreneurial thinking to the way they work, notwithstanding that they have to work with these systems and processes. Uh, so that's just a that's an insight that I've that I've learned over the last couple of years. And I'd like to explore that further if I can. Mm. Do you think that's because the entrepreneurs are fully invested in the business, not just from a career perspective, but they're essentially their whole life and being and financials and all of that are aligned. Do you think that's what triggers that learning agility? It, it could be that. It could be that because sometimes that's all they've been doing. Um, but I have met people that have, like me, moved out of sort of corporate into entrepreneurial land and they're really willing to also give back, you know. So it's not just that they're willing to meet with you and talk with you and learn from you. They're also willing to be available um, and they're busier than, you know, they're just as busy as a big CEO and a big corporate. Um, you know, an example I'll give you is that I met with a very prestigious entrepreneur recently and they responded to me very quickly and I got to spend some time with them and they were amazing. And then I've been trying to get in touch with a very senior CEO in an organisation and three months later I still can't get past the PA. So that's the difference and I just feel like corporate misses out you miss out and you know the entrepreneur there's obviously characteristics that make up an entrepreneur but you know I'm 25 years corporate two years entrepreneur so maybe that's the quirky part of me I'm not sure but this entrepreneurial way of working which is a pretty much you know the agile way of think and a lot of businesses use agile now but it's just are you really using it and are you really open um to to everyone's thoughts and and feedback and being a little bit more fluid in how you run a business instead of putting a lot of process on top of it so for my smaller clients that might need a little bit of process and I met with one yesterday they get scared so they're like I think we need some processes and procedures well do you do do you really maybe you don't maybe that's not what you need you know don't corporatize your business as you get bigger Um, I've got some great big clients that would be considered probably corporates but are very entrepreneurial in how they work and so I guess it's just understanding the value and what drives your organisation and that cultural aspect and, and sticking to that. And I just think in corporates, far too often we see that we've got these great values, but really are they embedded in the whole employee life cycle and are they really lived lived out through the people? That's the that's the hard one to, to manage. And do you have any good ways that leaders... Uh, have measured their success. So, is there any any good way you think that leaders can manage if they're being successful in their roles? Well, I, I think being a leader still, you, you need to run a successful, holistic organisation. It needs to be healthy. It needs to be healthy financially. It needs to be healthy culturally. Um, 
you know, those lead indicators are really important. And so I sort of see it from a more holistic point of view. There's no point having one amazing manager sitting over here with an amazing team and another manager over the other side with a shitty team. So really success for me is when a business is very much aligned to its strategy and the leaders are aligned to that strategy and then the people are aligned to the strategy which then in turn will see the success um, that's required around culture and, and making money because at the end of the day that's what has to happen. Yeah. I'm always curious about the way people network. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's something which a lot of leaders should be thinking about but they don't necessarily see their part in that. They tend to think, oh, that's for salespeople to do. Mm-hmm. What, what advice can you give to people about networking and tools, tips, tricks? Yeah, well, I think... I think my point around entrepreneurs is they're really great at networking. You know, they make the time to go listen to diversity of thought, which then gives them different ideas and they make themselves available, even though they're really, really super busy, um, which I think is very important. Networking will allow you to, it will just feed your brain and you'll get different ideas around ways that you can work or ways that you know, you can run your business or the ways you can be a better leader. Because things, things are changing all the time. Uh, I think it's awesome to, you know, listen to podcasts and, and carve out time in your week around when you're going to take in some information that's got nothing to do with um, what you're working on. So I think immersion is really important and that's part of networking. Go and meet, you know, if you're a stevedore, go meet someone that works at Mecca Cosmetics, you know. Diversity of thought brings great ideas. And don't overdo it though. You know, there's nothing worse than going to a networking event and getting nothing out of it. There needs to be a purpose and there needs to be a learning outcome from networking. If you're not walking away with something that you've learned or an outcome, then it's, you know, not worth your time. So it's not just about getting out there and going to everything. It's what am I going to this for? What do I want to get out of it? And what's the purpose of it for me? And or why do I want to meet this person? Why does this person want to meet me? Is there mutual benefit in that? Uh, Versus just the slather of networking, which I've seen people do before, which doesn't really work. (laughs) Absolutely. So the listeners will know how passionate about mentoring I am, mm-hmm. and you've spoken about coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always curious about people's distinctions between what's the difference between coaching yeah. and mentoring. What, what, what are your views there? Yeah, I see mentoring more about aligning something quite specific that you're wanting to solve for, and then finding right fit for that. So. You know, if it's me and I'm running my own business and I've never run my own business before, it might be nice for me to have a mentor that has a very successful business that I can call on and ask questions of. Coaching can take lots of different forms. So coaching can be corrective in that there's something that needs to be fixed. Coaching can be enhancing in terms of building out your leadership toolkit, which I think is very, very important. And lots of leaders need big, heavy toolkits to be able to access really quickly. So that's the distinction I make around coaching and mentoring. Okay. Pretty simple. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what, is the, what does the future hold for you and HR Squad? Well, that's a very good question, Julian, and maybe I need some coaching and mentoring. <laughs> <laughs> so HR Squad has been really organic in its growth and we haven't really had to do any marketing or sales so far and we've been really lucky in, in that sense. But I think the future holds for us that we definitely want to grow um, and we want to diversify our offering and we also probably need to think about the things that we don't want to do anymore as well. Um, the coaching space and the talent and leadership space are probably a great sweet spot, notwithstanding that we do a lot of general stage HR um, support. But I think the growth is really in being able to build out our coaching and talent programs going forward, um, as well as keeping the balance and, and the lifestyle for all the employees that work for the HR squad. Okay. So have you, have you got targets you're looking to achieve in terms of size? Do you want to go national? Do you want to go international? No, we're pretty far. I do have some international clients already. Yeah. Um, we're pretty organic and fluid around how we roll. We're very entrepreneurial. <laughs> <laughs> so even our contracts, are, they're one pages and it starts with we come from a place of trust. Mm. So you trust us, we trust you, and let's go do some work together. And then we might outline the work that we're doing. So there's no big long contracts. We will, we really will only work with people that really truly believe in what they're doing. We won't do a program for program's sake. And you know they need to be invested and, and really want the value um, that a program or the intervention might offer the business. To make a difference and, and we only want to make a difference for clients going forward so we're pretty lucky we've got a great group of clients that we love and adore and we have very trusting open relationships with them and we, we'd like a few more of those but you know at the end of the day when we're, we're not going to be all in sundry to every everybody and we're not going to be cookie cutter and so if we stay small, um, that's okay with me, as long as we're doing good quality work. Okay. So I'm always interested in how people, when they get to a, a leadership position, whether it be their own business or in, in corporate, how they continue their own learning and development. Mm -hmm. Because quite often they're focused on other people's learning and development. So how do you, how do you keep learning and growing yourself? Is it a conscious thing that you do? Yes, I'm very conscious about my learning, I always have been. So I use my own tools. I reflect often on um, how I'm going and how I'm showing up on a probably daily basis. Uh, I also have, um, I've needed to really lean into this, obviously after leaving corporate because you get exposed to so much in corporate. So I've had to really lean in to make sure that I'm relevant and I'm learning, uh, so I'm constantly listening to podcasts, reading. Um, I have a corporate crush on Adam Grant, who's a social psychologist in America. Um, he's incredible and I love the way that he sees the world. 
And so I have my favourites and then I like to meet lots of people um, that with a learning outcome though, with, with something that you know I might need to bolster up. And like like to also play in the nonprofit space a little bit just to get that different sense, view, value of life. And then every year at the end of the year I will do a big reflection and that includes with my husband and then I will set my goals for the next year and they will be business strategy goals as well as personal learning growth goals for me personally. I think this happens as you get older. <laughs> if the younger generation can pick it up a bit earlier, it'd be great, but you start realising that you're not immortal and, <laughs> and that you know you need to be quite purposeful around that. So. I use the word reflection, purpose, constantly. Like it must drive my clients mad. But I really do think that these two things, and, and drivers and motivation, so understanding drivers, motivators, your purpose, um, and reflecting, because the only way you're going to understand those three things is reflecting, is just key, absolutely key. Uh, and it's more important than anything else you'll do in your career. So what challenges do you think are coming for you, for your business and the industry your business operates in? Mm. Digitisation, probably. Um, so that's something that I sit there thinking about from a disruptive point of view. However, there's nothing more powerful than you know, proper individual face-to-face -face coaching. So you can outsource it to Jeff, you can make an app, you can do the, all those types of things, but I still think human contact is required. And so I'm hoping that, you know, we're a small niche, niche boutique business that doesn't need to change. I don't need to take over the world. I don't need to triple in growth or anything like that. Um, so, but digitisation, I guess, but I'm hoping it doesn't affect my business because our market's different because we're working with smaller, medium-sized organisations unless we're running a talent leadership program for a large organisation. So that's probably something HR Squad needs to get a little bit better at. Sure. Um, and then people just copying what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to stop that to do with that challenge? Uh, well, you know, HR Squad, it, in some respects, you know, it's my knowledge, it's my, it's it's me I'm selling yeah. um, with some amazing people around me who I love and adore. And um, there's just no other lady tailors. So, uh, <laughs> That's it's how a, I'm going to solve that problem. It's a pretty distinct competitive advantage, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> so, uh, what, who, which leaders do you look up to or they inspire you? Hmm. I, I was very much inspired by um, one of my first um, managers, which was Kevin Roberts, who I who I talked. Uh, about before, so he's the new CEO of Cricket Australia, actually, um, and he was a young leader at the time, and and you know I learned a lot from him from a business perspective. Um, I look up to John Mullen, who ran Asiano, who's now on the board, 
of directors of Telstra. He's, he's an incredible CEO, very humble and always had time uh, to teach, share, learn. Uh, Alexandra Babmark, who's the head of HR for Telstra, is an incredible HR practitioner, but not just that. She is way more than that, and so her wealth and knowledge is incredible. I have the fortunate job of looking after Carmen's kitchen HR, and Carolyn Creswell is the epitome of entrepreneurship and just an incredible leader and the way that she thinks and operates her business is phenomenal. Um, so I've been surrounded by quite a lot of amazing people and also my husband Chris Taylor who ran gyms and businesses for you know over 30 years really successfully. So his insights into running small business are very powerful. Um, so, you know, it's not always the big head honchos that, you know, you get the inspiration from. Um, it's also people doing things around you that are really interesting. Another uh, great uh, inspiration for me is a group called Mentor Loop. So Lucy Lloyd um, is one of the co-founders and um, they have built a digitised platform around mentoring and she ha and, she and she's younger than me and she gives a great perspective and I get a lot of learning from her and spend time with her. So I make sure that I've got people around me that are all different walks of life. Um, but I would have to say that a lot of where I came from and I grew up in the country would be, I'm sure everyone says this in these podcasts, but your parents, but you know, my mother and father worked their whole life, they still work, they instilled in me some amazing values and I often talk to them about work and, and what's going on and what they think still to this day. So. There's a, there's a long list. There's a long list. Oh, it's a good list. I know a couple of those people, so <laughs> I can vouch for the quality of people that you're, you're referring to. So if people want to know more about you, where mm -hmm. should they go? They should go to our website, which is um, World Wide Web, hrsquad.com.au. <laughs> uh, Oh. And they can contact us directly there. They can contact me directly there. Yep. Um, and they can find out, out about all the things that we do on that website. And we post a lot on LinkedIn as well. So okay. a lot of our activity on LinkedIn. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And any last words on leadership you'd like to share? Mm. Big word, isn't it? Mm. I, I, you know, for me, leadership, it's, it's not an easy gig, but if you want to be one, then be a good one and really think about how you are going to develop yourself and to enable your team to be the best they can. So be leader-led. Don't let others lead for you. Well, on that note... Thank you, Lane Taylor, for being on the podcast. Really Thank appreciate it. Thank you very it. much for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. See you next time.